Hello, and welcome to episode 62 of the Talk Witchcraft podcast. In this episode, Maggie and I will be talking about the meaning of intuition and how it differs from other things like sensing, anxiety, and wishful thinking. Get comfy with your beverage of choice and join us in the conversation. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft. On this podcast, we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. We're your hosts, the Mystic Sisters, Erica and Maggie. For this episode, we chose the Nine of Cups, and the theme of this card is emotional maturity. So there aren't many cards in the Rider Waite Smith version of the tarot where the characters are smiling, but this is one of those cards. This is a well-dressed man and he has a very round face with a big smile. And the round face is significant because in the long ago times, having extra weight and fat meant you were really wealthy and you had enough food to satisfy your hunger and then some. So this person would never say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This person would buy everybody boots who needs them, would repair the boots of those who have them. And there's this ripple effect when this happens. So he has enough and he's willing to share it with everybody. When I see this card, I also imagine that this guy is sitting in front of this table of cups and he's hosting a party for all of his friends and the cups aren't all for him. He's not a lush. He doesn't appear greedy or hoarding them. He's jovial and generous. So he is satisfied with his position in life and he wants to share his wealth and he wants to spread that joy and cheer to the people that he cares about. He doesn't need to look at his achievement to know it's there and he can sit proudly in front of it and be confident. And not only that, he can share what he created with others. So do you have a story about the Nine of Cups, Maggie? I do. We just got back from Mexico City this week. Dana and I went down for a polo tournament. This card reminds me of Dana. He's very generous and he's not concerned about being paid back for things. So there was, you know, in America, we have American dollars and in Mexico, they have pesos. We just happened to have converted money early on. And there was a couple other people who were visiting from America and also from Canada who hadn't done a money conversion. And so, you know, people were asking to borrow money so that they could, you know, get water so that they weren't dehydrated in the Mexican sun, get food and things to take care of themselves. And so Dana was offering, you know, was able to give pesos and people were really, you know, I was observing people being concerned about when they were going to be able to pay him back. And like, I don't know when I'll be able to visit a bank, but I promise I'll pay you back. Um, and I observed him just being like, it, it's okay. Like, <laughs> you know, make, make sure that you take care of yourself. Don't worry about paying me back, do what you got to do to take care of yourself. And if you get me back, that's great. And if not, that's okay too. And so I just felt like he, he was in a position to share something you know he'd done this exchange and so he just had he just happened to have the pesos and he was wanting to take care of everybody he wanted everyone to be cared for without worrying too much about like having that returned to him oh another thing that I also remember he had gotten a mix-up in the order he had done for his polo equipment and so he happened to have a rotor guard which is a protective thing for the back of the back wheel of the bike to protect people from getting their legs cut open. 
and um, it was the kind that doesn't fit his bike. So he brought it with him in case somebody needed it. And then yes, of course, somebody did need it and he gave it away because, well, for one thing, he didn't need it, but he was he didn't expect the person to, you know, pay him back for it or anything like that. And then another another generous act, my generous husband, he ha had a polo mallet and he loves, you know, helping people find a mallet that like works really well for them. And so he always has a couple extra mallets for himself in case one breaks or bends or anything like that. And that happened to his teammate. His mallet had bent. And so he was going to borrow Dana's extra mallet, but Dana's a pretty tall guy. And so the mallet was pretty long because it's kind of in relation to your height and your arm length. He just said, you know what, you just have it, we'll cut it down and then you'll have what you need for this game. And in some ways that, that's a little bit self-serving because of course he wanted his teammate to perform well so that they could win the game. But again, he didn't expect to be paid back for this tool that's required for the sport. He just wanted to give what he had available to him and make sure everyone had what they needed. What about you? Do you have a story about the Nine of Cups? Yeah, and it's kind of similar to yours. I think, I mean, obviously, because we're talking about the same card. My boyfriend is a member of a fraternity and he is still active as an alum. One of the other alums who is much older than us, he lives in Phoenix, but has business things going on in Colorado. And so he comes up once a month or once every two, two months to do his business things and then also come up to the center to do his alumni things, take care of the grounds and pay bills and all that stuff. So whenever he comes up, we go out to lunch with him. And every single time that I've been to lunch with him, and it's it's gone from a group of like maybe six to eight to like the last one, I think we counted 20 people there. So it's getting bigger. It's getting more full. Lots of people are there. It's really a great time. And every single time this older alum pays for the whole thing, it's almost become expected, which I hate because it's like, I don't want, like, I want to to it, it to be this generous spirit that he's doing it in. It's his, his joy that he gets to come and see friends of his, brothers of his. He likes to take care of us. And, you know, there's always the, there's another older gentleman who is at war with him, of course, about who gets to pay, but he's so sneaky. He's just so sneaky about talking. I, I think he tells the waitress when we walk in, like, that's how sneaky he is. He does it because he can and because he loves to and he wants to share his wealth and privilege with other people. And it's just, it's really fun and special. Yeah. And I think the key here is since we're talking about the cups with both of our stories, there was a financial aspect to it but it wasn't really about the money. It's about the care. And, you know, we're both talking about like food and, and drink and, and being in company with each other. So it's about that emotional connection rather than like right. the yeah. financial aspect. Because the money piece would, would be like a pentacles thing, but right. <laughs> so it is, it's, a, it's about giving of yourself because you can. Right. So it's kind of like we've, what we've talked about before about like the language of love and gift giving. And so it sounds like both, we, well, I've talked about before that Dana's love language is gifts. And in this case, it just happened to be financial. And it sounds like this person that you're talking about also just wants to like share by giving this meal to people. So should we switch to our main topic for the week, Erica? Sounds good. As we mentioned at the beginning today, we're talking about intuition. Intuition is a strange thing. 
We all have it, but most of us don't know what it is or how to use it. So today we will be exploring the definition of intuition, the difference between intuition and other things like sensing, gut feeling, anxiety, logic, instinct, paranoia, fear, reason, and overthinking. And we will also discuss why intuition is important and how you can develop your own intuition. As usual, we like to start with a definition. So we'll talk about what we think the definition of intuition is, but this is a difficult thing to define because it means different things to different people. So for this episode, we'll be talking about intuition as a hunch, something that comes from your subconscious mind. It's a feeling and it's it's a way of knowing without knowing how you know, and it's really hard to explain why you feel the way you do. It comes out of nowhere. But again, it's something that all of us have. Just many of us are unaware of this intuition in our being. Why is intuition important? Intuition is important because it allows us to connect with your subconscious mind and access information that you may not be aware of otherwise. Intuition often gives us insights and ideas that would we wouldn't have come up with if we were only using the rational side of our mind. So intuition can also help us make decisions when we're feeling stuck or when we don't have all the information that we need. Now, one question that I'm often asked is whether your intuition can be wrong. And I personally don't think that your intuition is ever wrong, but I do think that sometimes we interpret the message inaccurately. And so later on down the line, we realize, oh, that wasn't what my intuition was telling me. And I've gone down this other path. And then sometimes we may think that we are following our intuition and an intuitive message or nudge but it's actually coming from a place of anxiety or wishful thinking or logic. So later on in this episode, we'll talk about how to tell the difference between what is your intuition and what is these other things. But for now, let's talk about how you can develop your intuition. There are many ways to develop intuition. Some of the most effective methods include being present, noticing patterns, practicing self-care, and spending time in nature. So that first thing to do is to be more present in your world. So if you're more aware of and, and present in each moment, especially when you're meeting new people or visiting a new place, that's a way to help you develop your intuition. So do this by tuning into your senses, your sight, the sights and sense and sounds. So many S's again. <laughs> around you on this conscious level so that you can be more aware when your subconscious is picking up on something. My intuition is in hyperdrive sometimes and I can, upon first meeting with people, I usually can tell what type of person that they're going to be. And that's not a humble brag. It's just because I think that my personality trait is to immediately be friends. Like I'm just, I'm the person that it's, it's zero to 60, either we're nothing or we're everything. And because I am putting out a lot of myself, which is detrimental sometimes, and I get hurt a lot. I am feeding off of a lot of the energy that other people are giving me. And I think that's also part of 
my empathic abilities as well, but it's always because whenever I'm meeting somebody new, I'm a hundred percent into meeting that person. And I'm present in that moment. I'm looking at who they are, what they're doing. Are they fidgety? Are they confident? Are they nice? Are they grumpy? And all of those things are building into developing that first impression. Yeah. There's this idea that people are more intuitive after experiencing like trauma or painful interactions with people. And I think it's like you're saying, like you've, you've been burned before. So you've learned to not let that happen again by paying attention to signs that people are giving you. It's stronger with people. It's not as strong with environments. I feel like I'm the opposite. I feel like I have a hard time reading people, but I can get a really good sense of a space and the way that like the energy of the general space, whether people are really comfortable in that space or whether it feels like unsafe and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The next thing to do is to be more aware of the patterns in the world around you. Everything in this universe is made up of patterns and humans love patterns. We find patterns in everything. It's embedded in our DNA. It's just part of who we are. And so if you're paying attention to what triggers your thoughts, speech, and behavior patterns, this can help you understand your intuition better. Yeah, totally. So this is kind of similar to the like being present, but as you're more present, you're able to notice these patterns better. Paying attention to these things coming up, you're like, oh, wait, this is similar to that other time that this happened. So this might be a similar experience to that other thing. Right. And, you know, alluding to our later conversation about anxiety, you know, it's, it's hard to balance that because your brain is always looking for patterns and your brain is always trying to protect you. So if it picks up on something that's been triggered a trauma in the past, it's going to be like, this happened before and it's happening again. Right. And so balancing that intuition of something happening versus an anxiety of just telling your brain, Hey, you know what? I know you're protecting me, but I don't need that right now. Right. So the next thing to do is to practice self-care. And we talk about this a lot, but that's because it is just so important to a magical practice in general. And that includes developing your intuition. We all have varying levels of like ability, capability. So start by understanding what your baseline for health and wellness is before developing your self-care practice and make sure that you care for yourself on all levels, your body, your mind, and your spirit. Being in a healthy place for yourself, that's part of how you can understand when a message is coming through. And it's not maybe something that's reminding you of like a pain that you're feeling or something like that, that it's actually a message from your intuition. Yeah. I think the, the idea of establishing a baseline for yourself of knowing when you're at your most comfortable, when you're at your most calm and my calm is going to be different than Maggie's calm which is going to be different from everybody else in the world's calm, but knowing in your own body, what calm and comfort feels like to you so that when it goes plus or minus either direction, you can feel those changes and start developing that intuition that way. Spending time in nature is also a great way to develop your intuition 
when you are surrounded by the beauty of the natural world, it's easier to connect with your intuition and to listen to what it has to say. Nature provides that sense of peace and calm that we were talking about that can help you to access your intuition more easily. It's also a really good place to feel those senses coming into play, listening to cracks and and shuffles in the underbrush, listening to the birds, listening to the bugs. When something changes and trying to figure out what is changing? Like, is that an animal moving? Is that just a leaf falling? And just having that outward reach away from yourself and into the world. Yeah. And then just in general, being in nature is like the base of most people's witchcraft practice is a connection to the natural world, whether you live in a city or in the country, whether you spend a lot of time in wilderness or, you know, you spend time in a garden having some connection to the earth and the air and the sun and the moon and all of these things, that's really important to witchcraft and therefore by extension connecting with your intuition. Yeah. I had just yesterday, I was walking into work and, you know, granted I wasn't out in the mountains. I wasn't on a, in a forest path or near a river. I was just in the parking lot of my work still in nature and the birds were, I heard the birds chirping. And I was like, it's spring. And I was like, it's just that, that bell curve that we've talked about before with the seasons changing, like we're starting to go up that slope up to the equinox. There was still snow on the ground, but it was warm and the birds were chirping and the snow was melting. And so it was trickling down. So there was that, the river sound was the water trickling down the gutters, but it was just this moment of like, oh, it's spring. Yeah. (laughs) I can feel it. I can hear it. I can see it. (laughs) I love those moments of like connection to nature Cause like I said before, we were just in Mexico city and that is like the biggest city I have ever been in. I think it is the biggest city in the world. It is hard to describe, but you know, you you're surrounded by like huge, all these buildings all over the place. So many cars, so many people. There's a couple of different moments where I would just like see a butterfly out of the corner of my eye or something like that. And to just have that small connection to something really natural those moments are so special and they really do like reconnect you with yourself and with nature in general so the next thing you can do is to train yourself to tune into your intuition one way that i like to do this is with eating something or drinking something before a practice that requires my intuition that trains me like like a dog you give yourself a treat and then you're trained (laughs) to do that thing that trains me to tune into my intuition more easily outside of those really specific rituals that are designed to be intuitive. So I always have a specific tea that I drink for before I practice tarot. And then if I drink that tea outside of a tarot practice, I am more connected to my intuition in like everyday moments. But you can do this with a certain smell, like you could burn a certain incense while practicing tarot. And then whenever you smell that smell, you, you, you know, have that connection to your intuition. You can do it with a sight, with like a symbol. You can do it with a movement, like you're, you snap your fingers and that helps you tune into your intuition. So over time, you just keep like doing that before an intentional intuitive practice. And then if you do that, like in a normal mundane situation, like snap your fingers, then you connect more quickly with your intuition. 
And the last thing that you can do to train your intuition is to look for confirmations. If I think back to meeting that person for the first time, if my intuition is telling me like, wow, this is a really great human being, I'm going to be looking for confirmation of when that person is doing great human being things. And that's going to help to confirm like, oh yeah, that first impression was correct. Similarly with like, man, I do not like this person and I don't know why. Start looking for confirmations of when that person is not necessarily being a good human being. I caution about confirmation bias though that you see a VW bug driving poorly and you're like, man, VW bugs are terrible drivers. And then every single time you see a VW bug and they're a terrible driver, that's a confirmation bias. And then you stop looking for the times when the VW bug is a good driver. Be cautious of that. Like with that person who is like, man, I just don't really like this person. You know, don't only look for the times when they're being a horrible human being. Also look for the times when they're being a good human being. And if there are any. Yeah. Be very like observational on like an objective level where you're not, like you said, looking for something to confirm it. You're like, it's like you're in, in a weird way. It's like you're a scientist, like observing <laughs> an experiment to see right. how it turns out. And in the same vein with like the person who you think is a, is a wonderful human being, only seeing the good in them, you know, can, can be red flags for if you're in a relationship with this person for putting them on a pedestal and they can do no wrong. That's not a, that's not a great way to be either. They, humans are fallible. They do do wrong. And so it's, it's just something to be cautious and aware of. Yeah, I think that's important. Like not putting people in boxes as like, this is a good person because my intuition told me. And so they can only be a good person from then on or vice versa. Because somebody could be a good person and do something, have a mistake. You know, they might mm -hmm. hurt you, but they're still a good person. It, it, it kind of depends on how they react after you've told them that you've hurt, that they've hurt you. Mm -hmm. That's what really determines if they're a good person or not. And now a word from our sponsor. Tarot began as a card game and later emerged as the mystical divination tool we know today. There are countless variations in artwork and design, but the general message of these cards is universal. At the Tarot Boutique, we showcase hand-drawn and thoughtful tarot decks of 78 cards based on the three major tarot systems, Rider-Waite-Smith, Toth, and Tarot de Marseille. We offer decks in a huge variety of themes, religions, art styles, and more to suit the preference of any reader. All decks include 22 major arcana cards and 56 minor arcana cards. Tarot is suitable for beginners and advanced spiritual speakers, or anyone who is looking to develop their intuition, manifest their intention, find guidance, and understand life events. Pick up the deck of cards to embrace your spiritual gifts and channel your inner knowledge and your wisdom. Side effects include predicting the future, achieving your goals, feeling confident in decisions, improving your relationship, and all of your friends asking you to read their cards. Back to your regularly scheduled programming. So as we've alluded to, there are many things that tend to get confused with intuition. So let's attempt to create some boxes around these experiences and discuss how you can differentiate them from your intuition. The first is sensing. Sensing is being aware of your surroundings. You use your senses to take in information about the world around you so that you can better understand it. 
I think sense is, is important for developing your intuition and also for developing your psychic senses, but they are separate experience. Right. So we talked about that when we were talking about developing your intuition, that using your senses to experience your surroundings can help you to be more connected when you're having an intuitive message. But I wouldn't say that, you know, like feeling that a flame is hot is intuitive. You know, that's like, it's just like a tool you can use to develop that intuitive ability. Exactly. And if you think about walking into a situation, sensing is happening all the time. You're looking at things, you're hearing things, you're touching things, you're smelling things. What's the last one? Tasting. Oh, you're tasting things. Hopefully not like walls and stuff like that. Yeah. Like don't go in and lick the wall of a <laughs> coffee shop when you come in. <laughs> Taste the coffee, not the wall. Right. <laughs> and so that's, that's happening regardless of any intention behind it, but you can enhance it and you can train yourself as part of developing your intuition and as part of increasing your magical power, but they're separate from each other. Well, because like there's a difference between your physical senses and your paraphysical senses. Clairvoyancy is seeing clearly, but it's not happening like I can see that there's a crystal in front of me, but a paraphysical sense of seeing doesn't happen on that like physical level. So the intuitive sensing is different from the like physical sensing. But like you said, you, they enhance like being able to be really aware of those senses enhances your ability to be more intuitive about those senses. So another thing that people often talk about in terms of an intu intuitive nudge is a gut feeling. In my opinion, this is a physical manifestation of your intuition. You feel the hunch of your intuition in your stomach or in your gut area. Although sometimes you might feel it other, some people might feel it in like your heart area or in some other area of your body. And some people might not experience any intuitive nudge on a physical level. So a gut feeling, I feel like is part of the intuition, but it's not always something that happens for everybody who is having an intuitive experience. And for me, I have terrible bossitis and I'm getting better at it because I have a good boss now, but whenever I get an email or in the past, I've gotten an email from my boss, the gut feeling has always been, oh God, I'm in trouble, but that's not intuition. That's anxiety from past experiences. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, people talk about like anxiety poops, you know, because <laughs> that's like something that's happening in your gut because of anxiety. So we'll talk more about anxiety in a minute, but I think gut feelings aren't always like the most accurate way to determine your intuition, unless you're really connected to your intuition. And going back to that knowing what your base level is, what your foundation is of I'm at calm. And then now my gut or my heart or whatever is telling me something different and paying attention to that pattern mm -hmm. and using it to figure out what your intuition is telling you. Another thing that is part of intuition, but is separate from it and different is instinct. Animals, including humans are born with certain instincts, but many of our instincts are learned through experiences. So we learn to fear things that are dangerous or to be attracted to things that are beneficial for us. Intuition comes from the subconscious mind and instinct comes from the conscious mind. And again, these are all kind of just like how we're describing these things. And so you might listener, you might think of instinct as part of your intuition and that's okay too. 
this is just a way to kind of categorize these things as differences. It's kind of helpful to like think about them in these terms in order to really understand what is your intuition and what is something else. And you can use your instinct to be able to develop that intuition. The instinct is coming from a very physical conscious fear or attraction to something. And if our instinct is saying like, Ooh, I need to stay away from that. That's that consciousness of being aware of it, which then we can move into the subconscious of intuition of any time that something comes up. If you're thinking about learning a new craft uh, or hobby, you know, instinct is, I'm, I'm going to talk about crochet because that's my hobby. Instinct is diligently reading patterns and learning new stitches and that part of developing something new. Intuition is me now being able to sit on the couch and not even look at my crochet anymore. And I can watch a TV show because it's so much ingrained in me that I don't have to be aware of it anymore. Sort of. Yeah, I think that's okay. (laughs) The way you're describing it, it sounds more like the logic versus instinct that the first was more like logic where you're. Well, maybe talk about logic now. Okay. So then another thing that is hard that you might be wondering how it's different from your intuition is logic. And so you might be thinking you have an intuitive nudge, but it's actually just like you've gone through the process of reasoning that this is what's true. This is what's happening around you because of the evidence that's around you, the facts that are around you. And so you've arrived at this valid conclusion. And that's different from your intuition because as we've said, intuition isn't rational or reasonable. There's no way to trace how you came to the conclusion. You can't really explain it. It's just this feeling that you get that this is the thing that's true. And then of course, there's always wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is a type of thinking where you allow yourself to believe in something that isn't true. It's often based in hope or desire rather than evidence or reason. It can motivate you to achieve your goals, but can also lead to disappointment or unrealistic expectations when those wishful thinking things don't come true. So it's different from intuition because it's all about the mind and your thoughts. It is conscious and intuition is in the body and in your feelings and it is subconscious. And then finally, probably what many people are waiting for is how do you tell the difference between your anxiety and your intuition? And so we'll talk about that. Basically, anxiety is a feeling of unease that evolves from worry or fear, and it is a normal reaction to perceived threats, stress, thoughts of the past or the future, a traumatic event, or a genetic disposition. In some ways, anxiety is helpful because it warns us of potential danger. However, if it overwhelms you, turns into paranoia or delusion, gets worse over time, or interferes with regular activities, you may have an anxiety disorder and it would be good to talk to a doctor and seek help. So I think it's important to at first just recognize that anxiety is a normal thing that many people experience for certain reasons. But again, if it does any of those things, that could be something that requires additional help. But in general, the differences between anxiety and intuition, anxiety can be traced to a real source, whether that source is rational or not. And intuition 
seems to come from nowhere. You can't figure out why you get that feeling. It's just out of the blue. And usually anxiety is accompanied by physical symptoms like sweating or restlessness or tenseness or an increased heart rate. It feels immediate and loud where intuition is more pleasant, whether that's the gut feeling that we discussed earlier, or just a general calm knowingness that you're just know something without understanding why you know it. It's much easier to ignore your intuition than it is to ignore your anxiety. Another difference is that anxiety is focused elsewhere, anywhere, except for presently where you are currently. For example, you might have anxiety about how embarrassing you were at the party last weekend, or what happens if you don't get on the plane, or whether or not you'll do well on a presentation. Whereas intuition is focused on the present. And we talked about that at the beginning that, you know, being present in the moment about what's happening right now and what's going around at this time and place. So, yeah, I think that's like the biggest key is like anxiety is about worry about the future, fear about the future, worry about the past. And intuition is like, it's about what's going on around you. It's the what if question. It's what if this happens? What if that happened? What if I was foolish? What if I was dumb? What if nobody likes me? It's pondering these questions that aren't real and are not based in reality. Well, sometimes they're based in reality. They are. I mean, the reality of the present moment. Yeah. And it takes you away from yourself and puts you into another time and place. Yeah. And then your intuition is... Right now, (laughs) right now, what's happening right now. I'm looking at this person and I'm feeling this way about them. Right. So yeah, like for example, with the plane, it's like in anxiety, one anxiety that I often feel when I'm on a plane is suddenly I have all these fears about like, what will I do when the plane crashes? (laughs) You know, what, where is the stuff that I need? Like I get all prepared for like, what, what if this happens, what will I do? Whereas intuition is like, a knowing about what's hap- what's you're experiencing. But yeah, it's not a question. Intuition is like a statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I guess too, anxiety is usually based in negative feelings, whereas intuition can be either one positive or negative. Yeah, that's true. And it feel it just feels different. It's like you can much more easily ignore your intuition. So if it's in, if something is like really pushing on you and like feels really immediate, that's more likely to be your anxiety. And that's why it's important to be in that present moment because then you're in a place where you can hear the just like whisper of your intuition. Anxiety comes from past experience and like I said before, your brain looks for patterns, looks for things that are happening again. Your brain doesn't necessarily know what time and space it's in. Let's say you saw as a kid, I'm going to steal this story from my friend because it's a good one. As a kid, she stepped on a spider and the spider had an egg sack on its back. And when she stepped on it, all of the little baby spiders started crawling everywhere and it terrified her as a little kid, as it would terrify anybody. And so anytime she sees a spider or sees somebody step on a spider, her brain goes back to that moment, even though 20 years has passed. It's reliving that same moment 
over and over and over again. And so the brain is saying, Ooh, this is happening again. I need to protect you. Well, if that happened to me, I definitely empathize. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. (laughs) And so your brain is like, I need to protect my host. I need to protect my person because this was a scary situation from the past, but I don't know it's the past. I just know that it's happening right now again. And so we feel anxiety. And those are those moments where you can be like, yes, brain, thank Thank you. I know you're protecting me, but please leave me alone. (laughs) Don't need you right now. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Cedar. So Erica, tell us about the medicinal properties. And when you're done, I'll talk about the magical properties. Cedar, otherwise known as Thuja occidentalis. It is a wonderfully smelling, beautiful tree that does one thing really well. It is antifungal. That's pretty much all it does. It does have some antimicrobial and antiviral properties as well, but really we're looking at antifungal things. You can use it orally or topically for any sort of wart. You can also use it for any fungal infections of the foot topically. Maggie reminded me before we started recording that if you walk through a cedar forest, you won't see any mushrooms or fungus growing on it because of their amazing antifungal properties. Editing Maggie here. I wanted to check this fact and it's something that we used to teach at the outdoor center that I used to teach at that if you observe around the western red cedar, you won't really find mushrooms. And I just wanted to clarify that it's not that there won't be any mushrooms, it's just that there's very few mushrooms that will grow on or around a cedar tree, and specifically the western red cedar. So I didn't, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't a blanket statement that you'll never see a mushroom growing on a cedar tree, that it's like, it's much fewer because of this antifungal property. So if you've got a fungus and you want it to go away, throw some cedar at it. Not like confetti. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it could be fun. (laughs) But no, you're right. Make make a poultice, make a salve. Use the essential oil in a carrier oil. Yeah, it is contraindicated in pregnancy and during lactation. And you shouldn't use it in high doses for a prolonged period of time. High doses have caused convulsions and neurotoxicity and it can cause headaches. So try not to use it too often and for too long, usually as an ointment or as the essential oil. Cedar is an active tree. It corresponds with sun and Jupiter, fire and water, and Pisces and Sagittarius. It is most associated with confidence, strength, power, money, protection, healing, and purification. So one use for cedar is to consecrate your magic wand or to cleanse your magic wand using a herbal bundle of cedar fronds. I don't know if you call them fronds, leaves, and burn that. Use the smoke to bless and cleanse your wand. Um, You can also carry a piece of cedar, whether that's a piece of cedar bark or a bit of the leaves in your wallet or near, like if you have a coin jar or something like that, putting some cedar in that to attract more money to you. Hanging cedar on your wall can protect you, particularly against lightning. And if you add it to a charm bag, it can promote 
calmness when carried. It can also promote healing in yourself. Oh, and additionally, you can actually make your wand out of cedar wood. So taking a branch and carving your wand out of the cedar wood can make a really nice wand, especially if you feel strongly connected to the cedar tree. Most trees, and including cedar, are associated with longevity and wisdom because they live for so long. They're some of the longest living plants. And so using cedar in that way, or really any tree in that way, can be beneficial for spells for wisdom or spells for longevity. Just a note that we've mentioned before, and so I'm continuing the conversation, this is an excellent alternative for white sage. Yes, exactly. Smoke cleansing. Yeah, so making that herbal bundle, like I said, can be used for cleansing your wand, but just in general cleansing, cleansing your space as well. Side note, I wonder if it protects against lightning because of its association with Jupiter. Oh, maybe. For some reason, I feel like I remember it like being a very rarely struck tree. Mm, I think they're blessed by Jupiter, god of thunder and lightning. Next week, we will be looking at our life through the lens of the Ten of Cups. And the Ten of Cups is a very joyful card. It is about family happiness, peace, harmony, promise of good things to come, more more good things to come particularly. And it's sort of about having a safe haven in your home. So we'll be looking for that in our week. And if you would like to share a story about the Ten of Cups, please send us a voicemail to we listen at talkwitchcraft.com. You can find out more about this episode by going to mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash 062. Join us next week when we talk about trusting the manifestation process. Make sure that you're subscribed so that you can be notified about each new episode. And to help other witches find this show, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And this review is, I can't read the full title, but it says the best teacher for new witches. And I think that's the full thing. It says, I stumbled upon Maggie's blog when I was struggling to find my path. I'd always had an interest in witchcraft, but never fully embraced it. Maggie's blog led me to her Facebook group. And there I found so many people just like myself. I immersed myself in every blog post and every Facebook live video. And I learned so much and found confidence to embrace myself and my witchy path. Maggie's teaching method and the way she breaks down information is so great. She's so thorough and really puts in the work to make sure she's giving you the whole picture on whatever topic she's discussing. I left social media two years ago, and the only thing I miss is being part of the Facebook group. I'm so thrilled to see this podcast. You will not be disappointed. That's very sweet. Thank you so much for that review. It really makes us feel like we're not just talking to each other, but we're actually interacting with other people who listen to us. So thank you again for leaving the review and for even just listening to our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Mumbles and Things. And if you have any other tips to add, tell us about it in the Talk Witchcraft Forum in the Mumbles Academy community. And don't forget to share this episode with your witchy friends and followers. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. At the tarot booth, mom, ruining my recording.